I'll, I'll get something to cheer Joe up next week. That's my new goal for this week is just to talk about a topic that he will respond positively to. Best of luck. I would, I would enjoy that, yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Welcome to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Leland McRae. And hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Yak Sports Podcast. I'm Joe Deck. Leland McRae with me as always. And Leland, the Augusta County sports fan, is talking about the three-time defending state champion in Class A now. Four straight trips to that game for the Riverheads Gladiators. They beat Chilawi again, just like in 2017. 35 to 7 this time. It's 77 to 7 back to back years against the Chilawi Warriors. Uh, that is domination. Yeah, it was uh, a, a good whooping again. It, the, at least it was a better game this time around. Uh, the first half was definitely tight, but then Riverheads comes out. Um, they, they trade punts to start the second half. Then Riverhead scores, and then immediately on the first play from scrimmage, pick off, pick six, go to the house, and they just score there like 17 seconds apart, and it was just – it was going to be over then. Uh, that's that's really was the only indication. Chilawi did come down, scored finally, and these – for the only time in these two games they scored, but there wasn't much to be had after that. You could really feel there was just no momentum in their favor. You could just see Riverhead's just clinching on to that win. So um, it's going to – it's going to be three straight for the Gladiators, six overall, and and you know all of that since 2000. So, um, you know, we can talk. Probably have plenty of time to talk how that applies to history. But this season alone, I mean, they lost to East Rock early in the season, made a bunch of changes. I think I think I've alluded to those throughout the season, particularly on radio. But they really switched up a lot of stuff after that loss to East Ross because I think that exposed some areas that guys just weren't getting it done. So you have to commend Coach Casto to take a team that worked through August and into September kind of with one plan and to, to have the, the bravery to switch that up and put the smaller fullback in there and, and really much really run too tight the rest of the season. They really didn't run much uh, split out with the wide receiver the rest of the season. And I mean, it's not that brave. They've been successful doing just like that before. But to switch that up in September, basically because of one result, and, and it, a loss is a loss. That's not going to change everything. But I think it was how it happened. He realized he, he wasn't going to get out to where they wanted to be if they kept with what they were. And so they got tougher and stronger, and uh, they tore it up from then. I mean, they really were very much not tested the rest of the way. No, they were not. Uh, this game included. I mean, it was a close game at halftime, but then the second half, Riverheads sacrificed Chilawi to Uller, the snow god of Norse mythology, and they ended up getting a snow a day out of it today as well, and they'll probably get one tomorrow there in Augusta County uh, with the big snowstorm that hit this weekend. So Riverheads, not only do they win a state championship, they end up getting a snowstorm out of it to help celebrate a long weekend and really enjoy it. Um, but, you know, in that game, to be more serious, um, Riverheads just controlled it. I mean, they they did. In the second half, even in the first half, it, it was not any threat from Chilawi's offense. Um, Chilawi gets the ball to start the second half. It's a 7 nothing game. You and I both say to each other, they have got to score or at least look like they're going to score on this drive. They get go field three and out. Or something. They yeah. go three and out. Riverhead scores. Then it's a pick six on the first play from scrimmage all the way to the house, and all of a sudden they're down 21 nothing. And I look over at you and go, this game is over. And it yeah. was. I mean, I know Chilawi ended up scoring, I think, the very next drive and making it 21-7 or something. But at, there, at no point was Chilawi threatening to win this game. Even at halftime when it was 7 nothing, I was probably even... You and I both knew what was going to happen. It was going to be the same yeah. thing that happened to Essex the week before. Because it wasn't like Chilawi was driving up and down the field or anything. You just it, Riverhead's defense was playing so great, and and as much credit as everybody always talks about Coach Casto, and and it is he's the he's the captain of the ship. Coach Norcross's defense year in year out is awesome. These last four years they've only given up ten points a game for over a four season spread. The defense was really on point this year, and and their starters were not giving up points. I mean they really weren't down from from after the East Rock game on. Those starters were not giving up points. All those points scored, which were minimal, 
were on the second and third team defenses. So um, it is a really impressive season. Now, kind of looking at the history thing, um, I mean, that's that's six state titles since the year 2000. So there's just not too many programs that have that kind of success. And I saw Virginia, like uh, VHSL Salem, reference. Salem, and then that, Phoebus has I'm seven. Getting, that's where I'm getting. Yeah. It, it's, there are very few. I mean, and you're talking Phoebus and Salem and Riverheads are all right there at the top of this list. And then there's a drop off. So, you know, we just default say Salem's awesome. Phoebus is awesome. Well, Riverheads is awesome too. And they, they proved it by just getting there every single year and uh, winning it here a few in a row here. Yeah, no, they did. Um, and I get what your point is. Your point is going to be that nobody respects Riverheads like they respect Salem and Phoebus. Um, no, I wasn't necessarily going for that point. I was going for they're here and we might not respect that they're actually at that level. And, and I, I think maybe it's a wake up call for me too. I know they're very good. I played in the program. I have a lot of respect, but like, it's not just my opinion. It is a stated fact. I mean, they're that successful. They're up on that stage with two programs that I look at as, Oh my goodness, they're good. So it's just a really a non-debatable point. They're at that level. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I agree. I, I do think they're at that level. Um, this gets into a I don't I don't even want to have this debate because I think it's not a debate worth having, but then you get into the debate of which which team is better, which program did more. Uh you're you're talking at different levels, different time periods as well, um, different classifications. For uh, me, I put Phoebus up there probably the highest because of that fifty two game winning streak or whatever it was, four seasons without losing games. And uh, that, that being the old triple A. That's and that's just that's just amazing. At any level, if 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 Riverheads was doing that single A, I would say that's the best. But Phoebus did that against very good competition. Um, you know, everybody's playing at their own different level. That's why they have the different classifications. But that that winning that many games straight, that just puts I, that puts Phoebus up there for me. And I am a Riverhead guy, and I'm saying Phoebus is the most impressive to me. To not lose a game for four years is amazing. Yeah. I, I would agree with you. If we're talking then, most impressive, it's Phoebus. And then Salem, you can say a lot, too, because it's more than just since the year 2000. It, I mean, it goes back into the 90s and, and yeah. beforehand. So, like, it, it's, that's a longer stretch. So, I, I mean, maybe I'm putting Riverhead third on that list, but, I mean, it's a third <laughs> behind some, you know, programs that get talked about outside of the state of Virginia. It's not just yes. the people of Virginia know them. Everybody knows Phoebus and Salem, so... Okay, switching gears, Leland. Uh, JMU, in their coaching search, has not announced anything yet, um, which I kind of told you. I know you said, oh, yeah, we're going to have probably have a new coach in place uh, by the next time we do an episode. And when we went off the podcast, I was telling you, that's not really JMU's MO. We are slow and methodical in everything we do. I would be shocked if January 1st rolls around and we have a football coach. Yeah, uh, you said that to me this weekend, and I was still kind of surprised. Um, but looking over the list uh, today, reading, reading uh, Greg uh, Medea there, he kind of indicated the guys he was indicating, I don't think they're going to have signed on very quickly either. So I think you're probably right. Uh, people are still talking about um, – um, I am embarrassed that I'm blanking. Steinspring. Steinspring, which I think is a terrible hire. If you want, that's like a Mickey Matthews type of hire, and it's probably not going to produce as good as Mickey Matthews did, which is not a super high bar. Um, so I would hate to see that for them. They've already kind of rejected him twice. When they hired Withers, they were talking about him. When they hired um, Houston, they were talking about him. So, like, why now would he be the right choice? Because you've given up. I mean, if you, if, I don't know, I don't know if you, if you just plain don't want to hire somebody else in three years, uh, yeah, you probably will have that with him because he's probably not going to be jumping anywhere and, but you might not be happy with the results either. Uh, some guys that they have the Texas wide receivers coach, he seems like a young, good potential. There's a North Carolina state, uh, defensive guy. He's a little bit older, so maybe he's a good choice, but if you want to win a lot of football games at JMU, you want to hire 
like what Houston was, a young gun that's on his way up and just he's going to be gone in three years because you're playing awesome and you hope to maybe keep him five. That's that's my view of it. That's what you want. I'm not arguing with you about that. That needs to be the goal. And I know Jeff Bourne and, you know, everybody that's making decisions there, James, you says, you know, we want someone who's going to build the program, continue the program success and keep building it and yada, 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 which is fine. I mean, they're not going to say we're tired of losing coaches. We're going to go hire someone who no one's going to want to take away from us because that's going to be bad news. But I, but I, you're I, the J, you're the, you, as you say they're the JV program. I do wonder. Good, I do wonder. I do wonder if if there is a bit of fatigue of losing coaches. Like I know a lot of people were mad at Withers when he left, especially the way he left, and not as many people are mad at Houston. And Houston won rings where Withers didn't, and that that helped. But I do wonder if there's a little bit of fatigue of every three years searching for a coach. I, I think that is going to wear on a program. It's going to wear on a fan base. But these guys also, you know, brought sizzle to the program. They brought oh, yeah. game day. There. They brought game they, day. They brought there. Trips I hear to the national championship. I, I mean, that's, that's the top of what you can do at, at FCS. So that's what you want. You don't want an older guy that's content with staying there for 10 years. That's not what you want. Now, if you want a younger guy that might stay there a longer time, as you're hiring him, say we are entering the aspect of going up to FBS. We want you to lead us into that transition and through it. And that's your better shot at keeping a young guy, one that could take some pride of building that. But then after they do it, they'll still get poached and still be gone. Exactly like Appy State just went through. Yeah, but you keep them longer and the list of schools that are going to poach your coaches are smaller. But probably I've given up on this. I've given up on this argument. (laughs) JMU wants to be FCS. It's very apparent from every decision we make. That's fine. We're going to be FCS. We're not, we're not going to get an FBS conference invite anytime soon. So this is also a moot point at this time, because when, when the musical chairs were playing, we decided to keep the, we decided not to play the game. So that's fine. We're FCS. Who invited Liberty? Liberty just said, here's our money. We're coming. And so I, I mean, the Sun have that option. They're doing the they're doing the facilities. Their stadium is no better. conference is going bigger than sixteen teams. And I, I have to look at the numbers on the Sun Belt, but they're pretty close, if not at sixteen. Conference USA, I believe, is at sixteen. So if they if it it could work out, they have the facilities coming. I really think with the new basketball facility, that could be the breaking point of like, okay, this is opening. Here we go. I could really see that, and them out there already working those waters now. I could I could see that being the case. We are committed to the CAA, and we will die on that hill. Um, that's fine. <laughs> if that's what they want to do, that's fine. I'm not going to argue anymore with them. I'm tired of it. Uh, if that's what they want to live, then live it. Uh, just don't complain when your coach leaves. That's that's all I ask. Don't sit here and say, well, we can beat Charlotte, and we can beat ECU. Why are we, why are we losing coaches to ECU and Texas State? Because they're better than you. So stop. Stop saying that, that you're better than them because it's false, and that's the life you chose. So that's fine. All right. I want to tell you what I'm upset about. Okay, let's do it. I think we're both going to be upset about this. How does anybody hire Hugh Freeze to be their football coach? Like, how does that happen? He got – he was told to leave by mm-hmm. Ole Miss because he got caught calling escorts while he was on recruiting trips. Mm-hmm. How does anybody hire him? Is this a real question? Okay, go ahead. Finish. (laughs) Well, finish, finish your point. How, how much less who who hires a much less Liberty who holds their student body to such a high standard of self-performance and higher moral ground. And they do, I mean, they have the rules and they use them and kids get kicked out of there and kids get in trouble all the time, but then they're going to hire head coaches that behave this way before they get there. I, how do they do this? How does anybody hire Hugh Fury? Hugh Fury how does speak? Liberty? Let's just narrow it down yeah, to Liberty. Because I was gonna say, it, it, it's an exponential on it. Like, how do sure. they hire him? Yeah. I, now, Liberty is the problem, right? If it's anybody, I can tell you easily, it's a program that wants to win, and they don't really care about the ethics of it because winning forgives all. Uh, maybe that's what Liberty's counting on. Winning forgives all. Uh, Hugh Freeze is, you know, whatever. He said he's sorry. He's not going to do it again you would hope here's um, the quote here's the quote i liked and i called it out here jesus is the only one who can handle my junk that's what he said in response to questions about his past like 
how are we doing this? Like, and I, I'm not going to sit on some kind of moral high ground and I'm not going to beat a Bible on this subject, but like, how is this happening? How I, is this happening? My problem with it is what you said. You hold your students to this high standard and there's no forgiveness to them, but you're willing to look the other way on an athletic program, which is a problem. Um, do you help us get money? I think yeah. that's what it boils down to at the end of the day. I think they think Hugh Freeze can build their football program, can bring them more money. I think at the end of the day, that's all that really matters. Um, so my only thing would be, my only thing would be, let's give the students a little more leeway if that's what we're going to do here. That gets me to my quote. We're going to jump into who hired him after this, but... This quote is from the AD, Ian McCall. We'll get to his resume after this. But his quote is, Dr. Jerry Falwell's vision was for Liberty's football to compete with Notre Dame, USC, and Alabama, McCall said. And even though we're on year one into the FBS, I think being able to hire a coach of Hugh Freeze's stature does accelerate the process and make us very credible program that is going to gain national prominence through his hiring and get to a bowl games very, very quickly. Like, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. You're, I mean, I think it's one thing. I, I think it's one thing for any program to, if you're having that discussion of selling your soul to win. I think this is so blatantly selling your soul to try to win football games. And, and then, it, then it being at a religious institution, it's just, it's just mind-boggling that this is happening in Lynchburg, that they are just blatantly care more about winning football than they do ethics and then getting to who the ad at liberty is now he's a former ad at baylor he was in charge of the ship at baylor that had rampant sexual assault happening throughout the athletic department not just the football team not just here not just there it was throughout the program they were getting sexual assault just pushed over just rolled swept under the rug he gets fired there gets you have to leave you have to get out of here immediately he gets hired at Liberty to make their athletic program great. I, I'm embarrassed that Liberty is in proximity to where I live with these kind of choices being made. Yeah, and this is another reason somebody like Hugh Freeze can be hired because this guy has no moral high ground to stand on uh, because of what he did at Baylor, which is far more disgusting even than what Hugh Freeze was doing. Because at least those people that were was consenting. Yeah. yeah, that was self-behavior. And at least those people, everyone involved was consenting adults. Um, in McCall's instance, there were some people that were not consenting adults. And they did not get the help they deserved because it didn't help their athletic program. Which is a disgusting thing to have going on. And it would be really troubling for me uh, to send my daughter somewhere where he is still making decisions. Uh, and has the ability to cover that up. If I had a daughter, I don't think I could send her to Liberty University I thought I had a son. and sleep I, at I don't night. Even, I don't make it man or woman there. I'm not going to send my child into a hypocrisy that we are seeing at Liberty University. Yeah, I have, I have family members at Liberty University, and I, 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 I mean, I don't question their decisions. They're already there. This is a little bit different, but I... I I feel weird about them being there that they have administration over top of them. That is, is just bought like this. Well, it goes, it goes to, and then look, I think you and I'll be the first to admit we're not perfect. We make mistakes, No, but man, we don't make them on this level. And then we don't try to tell people how morally righteous Uh, we are. Yeah. We're, and yep. then yep. do this yep. kind of yep. thing. I and that, again, it comes back to the students, right? Like, yeah, you have all these honor violations, and you're going to kick a student out first time, first strike, no excuses. You knew the rules when you came here. Okay, well, you hired a guy who hired escorts on recruiting trips. Yeah, you hired you a guy a who covered up building, sexual assault. But, yeah. So, yeah. and yeah, sure, Jesus judges, and who are we as human beings? You know, if if that's what you believe in, but someone's got to hold people, people accountable from the other. Places someone for has, their behavior. yeah, someone has to hold people accountable here as well. And so I, we're saying, I, it, it, are you telling me Jerry Falwell would have said, "Hey, uh, this guy was really bad. 
He did some really terrible things, but hey, you know what? He's going to help our football team get to Alabama level, which, by the way, no, he's not. Hugh Freeze is not going to get you to Alabama level. And you know how I know that's not going to happen? Because he couldn't beat Alabama when he was at Ole Miss and had the chance. So decades has USC, Alabama, and Notre Dame been relevant in college yeah, football? Yeah, Liberty is yeah, not going so to be that. Away from, you're, you're never you're going to be years that. away from that. You're yeah. never going to be that. So uh, that's Best a case dumb scenario, thing to say. Yeah, it's a dumb thing to say. But we've also established that Ole Miss in the SEC and Baylor in the Big 12 have more morals in their hiring than does Liberty University. Which is troubling because Baylor has some – skeletons yes. in those closets um yes. it's just it's upsetting and look and every know, college program does some dark things um there are some bad things that happen on college campuses that people don't want you to hear about and that's anywhere you go uh and that's the sad fact of but you're you know, hiring what we people have that had those bad things happen to them and they got fired oh no i agree you're Leland. acknowledging they happen and you're saying come to us i think it's terrible I would be upset if any school that we, if it was JMU, anybody in the state of Virginia, any oh, I would be disgusted if it was JMU. Just the same. Yeah, I'd be disgusted. As a, as a, we can bring up a couple more points of how it is the opposite of what it seems like the intent of their university is. So we have a little more meat to our what we're saying. But if Virginia Tech or JMU was making these hires, I would be just as upset. Yeah, um, I, I know. I joked with you. I think it was. Uh, this weekend at dinner after the championship state championship game, you know, joking that what if Virginia Tech hires Urban Meyer? Um, and I know that would drive you up a wall because you don't like Urban him. Meyer. I don't want him either because of what he did at Ohio State and what he, I'm sure he's done at Florida. I'm sorry. There is no way he doesn't know some of the character issues and some of the stuff going on at Florida when he's there, too. But, yeah, um, yeah it, it goes to and that's the thing, I guess, you know, you will say about Frank Beamer. Look. Were some of Virginia Tech's players knuckleheads? Yeah, but you but you trust yeah you kicked some of them out and you trusted that Frank Beamer was going to do the right thing when push came to shove. I you can't say that about an Urban Meyer type guy. You definitely can't say that about Hugh Freeze, and you can't say that about McCall, the AD at Liberty, who covered up sexual assault, which is, in my opinion, something that should get you banned from college sports. Um, look, I think we're all in agreement. Joe Pock covering up what happened at Penn State is unforgivable and inexcusable uh so so why are we holding penn state to a higher standard than liberty university that would be my question to liberty university why do you think penn state is going to be held to a higher standard than you and and liberty be lucky to get to the national level that penn state is much less they won't usc alabama Notre Dame. different reasons but they will they won't they won't Let's move on. It's just I'm I'm really upset about that one, and I don't think I've ran it as hard as what I just did right there. Uh, college basketball, we can blow through real quick. UVA is still ranked uh, six, Virginia Tech thirteenth. Uh, both look strong. I'm looking forward to January when they play ACC basketball. Yeah, ACC basketball is going to be great. A lot of good teams in the ACC this year. Jump into NFL. My Steelers are evening things out. They started off awful, then they played really good. Now they're awful again. They're just not a good football team. They're not going to get to where uh you want them to be um so it, it's just what they are how'd your ravens do I, I know the answer but how'd your ravens do they lost in overtime because they don't have a quarterback who has the ability to throw the ball um that's uh, all the ravens fans and there's still quite a few of them we don't need joe flacco joe flacco's a bum okay joe i would have loved to have joe flacco there in overtime when we needed him because lamar jackson if you aren't allowed to run the ball, which that was the crazy thing. And over time, we can run the ball, and we chose not to, which <laughs> whoever's calling the plays, um, lose a job. Um, that was boneheaded play calling in overtime, in my opinion. You put yourself in a third and 22 situation. And uh, in my opinion, I know you texted me like jokingly, RG3. Uh, that was the right move. RG3 needed to be in the game at that point, not... Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson can't throw the ball that far down the field. And a screen pass wasn't going to work there. So was, I yeah. I had no problem with going to RG3 there because he actually had the ability to heave the ball down the field where Lamar I Jackson just, doesn't. And this is the thing that I nail on every single week when we talk about the Ravens during their winning streak. You finally played a good football team. You saw that the Ravens running game is really top-notch and is really good. And even against a team like the Kansas City Chiefs, we almost won. We should have won that game if we had a competent quarterback. 
And by competent, I mean a quarterback that has the ability to read a defense and throw the ball. We would have won that game. We didn't. Receivers bailed him out on almost every single completion that he had in the game, and he absolutely killed us when we needed him to make a play. He couldn't do it. He's just not good. And I know Joe Flacco has some bad games, but you know what Joe Flacco does in the playoffs? He wins because he's a quarterback that takes care of the football. He's not going to turn it over, and he's smart with the football, and he can throw the ball. I'm sorry. I don't like running backs at quarterback because they just don't survive in the league. And that is what Lamar Jackson's problem is. He's not an NFL quarterback. And that's why I think it's ironic that RG3 is the third string quarterback is because it just seems like Lamar Jackson here. This is an RG3 situation. It's it's you know, you get a little bit of excitement. He can do some things, but it's going to wind up the same way. So they're going to get rid of Flacco. And here in two years, you're going to be begging for some kind of quarterback to come out of there. And you don't have Kirk Cousins sitting down your roster. I don't want him either, but yeah. The cool thing that happened in the NFL yesterday I thought was amazing was the Dolphins beating the Pats. If you haven't seen the highlight, go find it. Uh, Two laterals, and they went downfield. They had Gronk. uh, I guess he's planking down there or something on the ground as the the runner went into the end zone. I loved watching him eat it. Loved watching him eat it. Even though it hurts the Ravens because the Dolphins are chasing us for that last playoff spot. But I loved watching Gronk just eat turf. To see that play happen is amazing and great. To see it happen to the Patriots makes it all the much better. Well, Leland, I want to go back to college football briefly. Yeah. Uh, much more positive note. We got bowl games going on. Let's give the folks one bowl game to watch for the week. And again, bowl games will start Saturday. We'll give you all the way up to Tuesday uh, because that's when our next episode will come out. We'll be next Tuesday. So we'll go ahead and cover that. But for me, it's the RNL Carriers, New Orleans Bowl, Middle Tennessee State, and Appalachian State. Yeah, interesting matchup. I really do agree with this probably being the most interesting one. I'll give another game. But uh, Appy State in another bowl game, very cool. And Middle Tennessee, it's going to be an exciting bowl game. Some points are going to be scored. I agree. Yeah, no, uh, Appy State's 10-win season. (laughs) Yeah, Appy State, a 10-win season for them. They're a really good football team. Middle Tennessee State is a team that seems like they're in a bowl game more years than not. So it'll be interesting. I would... You know, picking this game, I would say Appalachian State easily. And I also like the nine o'clock start time. That's good for a dad of three. That's kids in bed. You have a chance of watching. Uh, The game I picked after uh, seeing you already selected this one, I picked Arizona State versus Fresno State in the Mitsubishi Motors Las Vegas Bowl. It's at 3.30 on Saturday. I I like those games where you get a ranked uh, non-Power 5 team versus a Power 5 team just to see how they match up. It's it should be an interesting one. I don't know of the others which one you should which I should have picked, but uh, that's the one I like. Okay, because that's not the one you typed on here, which is why I was surprised. Who's playing in this? It's Arizona State and Fresno State. Oh, okay, because you have Memphis Wake Forest, but that's fine. No, that's next week. Oh, that's not that's not a choice this week. Okay, well that's what I saw. So I got mixed up. That's fine. But hey, we're we're hey, come back next week when I talk about that game. Yeah, that's but, the uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I agree. Arizona State and Fresno State should be an interesting bowl game. Um, the Pac-12 is basically a non-power five conference, so I would give the edge to Fresno State. Yeah, it'll be interesting. That that's what's it's kind of a measure and stick game. We will be next week uh, back with more picks for which games you guys should be watching as uh bowl season's always fun to pick out these games what i used to like to do me and a college roommate we would play as before we leave for college break we'd play as many of the bowl games we could on ncaa football it was awesome yeah all right leland well that will wrap us up in the a block coming up in the b block we have patrick height and then another interview in the c block with mike barber but first patrick height from the stanton newsletter All right, back here in the B block where we will have Patrick Height joining us as he uh, knows all things high school, excuse me, high school sports in the area. He was at the state game uh, this weekend. He's very much into basketball. So, Patrick, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me again. You know, uh, we've already talked about the Riverheads Chilawi state game, um, but afterwards you had an interesting post, a poll question on Twitter, and it was basically comparing uh, Coach Paul Hatcher at Robert E. Lee and coach Robert Castro at Riverheads and, and kind of taking their achievements coaching and uh, saying, you know, which one is more impressive. I think I uh, 
punted that on my poll on my poll answer and said it's a very debatable thing. But uh, what kind of response have you been seeing to that? We had a good response. The poll was up for 24 hours, and as you would expect, it was it was very close. I think in the end, uh, Paul Hatcher won with like 54 percent of the vote. But that's just that's just one of those, you know, classic sports debates. You know, who is better? Yeah. Brady Montana, Lee Tyson, you know, Michael LeBron. And so locally, that question always comes to to Hatcher and Casto. And I I really think the correct answer is is both. Right. I mean, they're they're amazed in what they do. The two different sports. I don't think we'll ever see coaches even come close to, to matching either one of them. But people on that, I know what my opinion was, but I was just kind of curious what other people thought. And it kind of worked out the way I, way I thought it was. You're going to have those who, who think Casto is, is what he has achieved is, is more impressive. And, and you're going to have those on the Hatcher side. Yeah. And I think you can, you really can debate it anyway. I played for Casto and I, I still respect very much what Hatcher has done. And it's one of those debates too, where as soon as you start saying one is better than the other, it's it's like you're cutting on the other one. And in this case, no one no one's going to get any cutting. They're both great achievements. Uh, you know, state history is that is involved with these guys. So uh, yeah, well, I, and my problem is I, I start arguing for one of them, and then I end up arguing against myself because I find <laughs> reasons to go to the other side. So so yeah, both of this have been tremendous. For, for their sports, both cared about their their kids passionately. Yeah. Um, you talk to, that's the one thing I, I think, you know, one of many things that, that are similar about the two is you talk to athletes that played for them years ago and, and they talk about how much respect they have for the coach and how much they still stay in touch with the coach and, and how they would do anything for them. So, you know, I, I, I don't, I just think it's a fun debate to have, but but both are amazing. I think last year when you, I think you brought up a very similar topic last year after Riverheads had won two in a row. And I, one of my points was in football and especially region B that Riverheads has played in throughout. And especially in the two thousands, it was so hard to get out of region B that it, it probably took some state championships away from Riverheads and where, you know, William Campbell, who was the team that was most of the time beating them, went and got them. And uh, in basketball, you can lose that region final and still advance and still have your shot and still get there. Uh, that was one of the counterpoints I made against uh, someone saying that it wasn't Casto, uh, you know, saying, well, but, look how hard it in a single game environment where, you know, not all these teams advance. It's a little bit different. Now I can sit here and make, up, yeah. I'll bring up the other side there. Yeah, there you go. In, 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 for Paul Hatcher, for most of his career, it was three classifications, right? And so you've got, you've yeah. got a lot more teams in there uh, you're playing in Group AA. In fact, one year he got to the state championship when Lee was in AAA. Uh, they lost that state championship game. He had four state championships but five runner-ups. So, you know, I mean, every year you can almost count on, on Lehigh getting to the state tournament, or it seemed like every year yeah. they were getting to the state tournament. Uh, so, you know, again, it, it's it, that's how it how, that's how this argument goes. Right. You, you start saying one side and, and then you come to the other and you say, well, Hatcher did this. Well, Casto did this. They they both did great, great things. You know, um, and, and the thing about Casto is when he came in, he took over a program that had been struggling and actually struggled under him for for a couple of years. Yeah, there. they were 0 and 10 and then 3 and 7 his first so, two years. Yeah. And now they're. You know, essentially, I was thinking for for single A football in the state of Virginia. I mean, they're the the UCLA or the UConn women, right? I mean, you just know, especially the last couple of years, you could just say at the start of the season, Riverheads is going to win a state championship. If they don't, I'm tremendously shocked. They're yeah. going to win a state championship. That says something for what he has done for this program. He's got them to the level that that people just expect them to win a state championship. You know, if they came up and, and finished second, that's a disappointment. And and I think that's an accomplishment, but it ends up putting a lot of pressure on on you and uh, you know, putting a lot of pressure on, on on the team. Yeah, and the the interesting thing with that is two various sports. But Patrick, I want to ask you: we have another coach that is widely accepted as a very good coach in this area, but he's leaving. He's going to Battlefield from Ari Lee, and that's Coach Jarelmo. Uh, talk about you know you broke that story with the newsleader. Let's talk about Coach Jarelmo leaving. Yeah, it, it I, you know, I, I don't think it was a huge shock for me. I, I thought he might stay around a few more years. 
but I think there's a few reasons uh, that he is going. Uh, first, you know, he's going from a double A program that has aging facilities that are really across town. You know, to get to your football field, you've got to go clear across town uh, to the field. To a he's going to a, a class six school that has newer facilities. Uh, he's going to get a chance to test himself at the highest level of the the VHSL. So I think for him, that's a good a good move, a chance to to challenge himself up there. I know that he and his wife were teaching at uh, Liberty Bealton before he came to Lee, so they're familiar with the Northern Virginia area. So it's a chance for his wife to kind of go back home. Uh, uh, Scott is from uh, New York, so I, I kind of thought when I first heard this news that he might be heading back to New York for a job, uh, but he is actually going to, to Battlefield. And, and I think the other thing is, I, I think there was some some tension in in uh, between uh, between Ooh. Scott and uh, the athletic department, uh, especially uh, the athletic director David Tibbs. And you know, David Tibbs was the football coach there before Scott came on. David wanted to remain as head football coach, uh, but the school administration would not let him do both jobs, so he had to hire a new coach. And that's always tough. That's always tough when you're the head coach and the guy that preceded you is right there. And he's your boss, and he's looking over you. And I, I think from some things, some things I heard that there was a little tension there. So, when when I did hear the news, um, I'm not going to say I was completely shocked. I, I think it's a loss for this area. I think he was a great young mind uh, with yeah. football, and I, I really think uh, he was taking Lehigh in the right direction. So I hate to see him leave. I think it's it's bad for Lee, and I think it's bad for football in this area. Do you think um, Do you think he has aspirations of? of even going higher. I know he coached at the collegiate level. I mean, he was under his dad, but do you think he has aspirations of even going to the collegiate level in coaching? You know, he coached under his dad in high school in New York. And then when he went to college, um, he, after college, he, he was a graduate assistant at, at college. I think, you know, obviously he's young enough where he yeah. could take a job in college. And, and I don't, I haven't heard him talk about that. I've had a lot of chance to, to kind of sit down and talk long, long conversations with him. He's never mentioned that he would like to coach in college, but I, I don't think that's completely uh, crazy to think because anybody that's had success and he's young and, and the way he runs that offense, um, I, I would, would think that if he ever got that chance to coach at a, at a college level, he would jump at that. Um, and going to battlefield, going to a class six school, if he can prove that he can be successful there, then college would be kind of the next, the next jump. All right, well, let's shift gears and uh, really go to what we brought you on here for, and that's the uh, high school basketball season's already underway. We're late to it. We've been wrapped up in football, uh, but we know you've been covering basketball. We've seen your coverage so far. But let's go ahead and talk about high school basketball, and uh, let's just start with, you know, who are some of the favorites uh, out there? Who who are we seeing, you know, as district contenders and also, you know, teams that might have a chance to make a little run in the postseason? Well, we're for for one year. We're, we're for the first year in a while. We're going into this season without any teams that, you know, with the news later, we cover the the seven area teams. We cover the five teams in Augusta County plus uh, Lehigh and Waynesboro. I think we're going into a season without a team that that looks like they could be a state contender. We've had that the last few years on both the boys and girls side. This year, that's not quite as clear. I think if you look in the Shenandoah district, uh, you probably your favorite's going to be East Rock, uh, although they have not played a game yet. Uh, they were supposed to play. We're, we're recording this on Monday night. They were supposed to play their first game tonight. It got snowed out. So they have yet to play a football, uh, a basketball game. And football is partially the reason for that. Their football team got to the state semifinals. And then, uh, of course, that delayed basketball. So I'm kind of curious to see what East Rock has this year. As far as our teams, I saw Lee. Uh, they opened up their season against uh, Buffalo Gap on Friday night. They, well, they lost so much from last year. Yeah, uh, I mean, they lost um, nine seniors, I believe, off of that team, uh, including Jarvis Vaughn, uh, point guard Jaden Williams. And then they had a junior in, in Jalen Henderson, who was expected to be the big part of their team this year. He did not return. And so you got a lot of young guys, a, a lot of guys that um, are jumping up from JV. I, I think... From what I saw Friday night, there, there was a lot of razzle out of that team. I mean, there's a lot of bodies flying through the air and, and shots going up from all over. I didn't see a lot of dazzle, at least not until late. Um, you know, they were missing a lot of those shots, and, and their defense was not did not look good to me. 
Uh, but that's, you know, I talked to Terrell Mickens after the game, and he just said, hey, we, we waited so long to get started. These guys just need to be on the court and playing games, and you're going to see them improve as the season goes on. I think that's true. I, th- I think you're going to see that Lehigh team get better. The team I would really look for, and I like a lot, is Wilson Memorial. Uh, I, I, Chance Church, who, who transferred to Eastern Mennonite, I wish he was there. If he was there, I would say Wilson had a chance to really challenge East Rock in the Shenandoah district without him. They're going to have to find a few other people to go to, but, but so far they have been pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, they, they played uh, a lot of three point shots. They like to, to run up and down the court, not quite as much as Stewart's draft, but they do run up and down the court a lot and, and score. And I said, when Jeremy Hartman took that program over, I thought he could turn them around and get them to be a contender in the district and, and maybe beyond I think you're starting to see that this year. They've they've had a chance to kind of buy into him, know what he's about. This is his second year. I really think watch out for that Wilson Memorial uh, boys team. And then Stuart Straff's the other one. Stuart Straff has been playing this you know crazy Grinnell system for six or seven years now, and they've never been able to get past the regional level with it. This year, maybe they've only got three seniors on that team. Uh, they're they're the first week they kind of struggled. They a couple of games in the 60s. Uh, one, I think they scored 85. That's very unlike Stewart's draft. And then all of a sudden, uh, once December rolled around, they scored 104 against Waynesboro. They scored 102 the other night against Page County. Uh, Mike Gale said that they are finally starting to to kind of understand what they need to do. The younger guys are, are getting into the system, getting into the flow. So that Stewart's draft team, they can be dangerous if they're hitting their threes, if they're they're forcing turnovers. They can beat just about anybody, and, and you guys know as well as, as anybody, you've seen them. They can be down 20 in the third quarter or up 20 in the third quarter, and you never know how the game's going to end uh, because uh, they can, can erase a deficit or they, they can uh, the opponent can erase a deficit pretty quickly. So I, I really would like to you – know, I, I think – my, my picks, I think Wilson right now is probably the, the best team locally, boys, but I'm curious to see what Lee and Stewart Straff do this year. So would you say then Lee and Stewart's draft are kind of your dark horses in the Shenandoah district? Yeah, and that's weird, isn't it? Saying Lee is a dark horse, right. but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think so, uh, and I think I think that's true because I mean they just lost so much. I, I don't know what to expect out of them. I really don't. Um, so I'm kind of curious. So Buffalo Gap has been really the dark horse right early yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won four games to start the season. They they lost to Lee, but they gave Lee a battle into the third quarter. Yeah. the other night, and that was without one of their better players, Andrew Weatherman was actually at a leadership conference. I talked to uh, Coach Ward after the game, and he said, you know, we got a lot of kids that that are successful doing other things besides sports, and we want to give them a chance to do that. And he was invited to this leadership conference, and, and, and Coach Ward said, we told him, go, go and do that, and the team will be here when you come back. And so, you know, they played Lee tough without one of their better players. This Buffalo Gap team did not win a single game last year, so I don't think anybody was expecting them to win all their games this year and, and all of a sudden contend for the district title. But I, I think you will see a team that they could make a push, and you know I don't know if they'll make a playoff push, but I, I think they could be around 500 when this season ends, and uh, they they look good. It's they have big improvement, yeah, yeah. So a team in the 1A level uh, that made a deep run last year and people were expecting a lot. I know they don't have Fulton now, but what what do we expect to see out of Riverheads? That's interesting because they, they have yet to play a game obviously too, um, because of the football. Um, I think the loss of Fulton is going to, going to hurt them a lot, but still at the one, a level, they've got enough talent that once you get through that, that tough Shenandoah district and you're tested every night, you get into the one, a, you know, you get into the regionals, they can they can make a run. They've got enough talent. Grant Painter is back. Uh, Dunlap's back. I mean, they've got enough talent that they should be pretty good. I, you know, last year they got to the state quarterfinals. I'm not. I, yeah, I mean, I think they could get back to to the state, but I do think they're going to have to find another weapon to replace Fulton. I, I do think that really hurt them. Him not coming back out. And for those who don't know, he's his decision was to fa- focus on baseball. He's already verbally committed to JMU. He wanted to focus on baseball. And so he decided not to come back this year. Uh, and he's only, uh, he was first team all state last year in, in region in, uh, in class one as a sophomore. So that when, when you lose an all state player, it, it's going to hurt. And so we'll just see how, uh, how uh, 
Coach Coffey uh, and that staff is able and, and the rest of the team is able to adjust without him. So if we told you to give us three players in the area that we need to be watching out for this season, who would you say those three players are? I, I think yeah, look out on Stewart's draft. I think look for Mark Rogers. Um, he's really had some big games early on. And in that system, you're always going to have big, big stats. But I think watch for him as the season goes on. You know, the player I was impressed with at Lee the other night with with Ethan, Ethan Vest. He was on that varsity mm. last year. Um, and I really liked his game the other night. I, I think, you know, there's there's a lot of players that could stand out on that Lee team. But I just watch Ethan Vest this year. I'm, I'm not saying he's going to be player of the year or anything like that. But I think he could he could make some noise and, and watch for him on on that team. Um, and, and then over at uh, over at Wilson, I don't know. It 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 becomes uh, it becomes a little more difficult because I think they have several players that are really good on that team. But I really so far like um, I like Garrick Welch so far. I, I think mm-hmm. if you're looking for a kid who can who can hit deep for you and score a lot of a lot from uh, behind the arc, I think he's the player to look for. Uh, he's got a nice uh, supporting cast, but uh, look for Garrick Welch this year uh, from Wilson. All right, jumping over to the girls' side, uh, Buffalo Gap made the run to the state final last year. Came up short, but still a heck of a run by the Bison over there. Um, you know, what are they got to do to uh, rebuild there? I know they're missing some pieces. We've seen good headlines out of Mary Baldwin uh, University there, uh, but what does the Gap girls have to do to uh, get back, you know, deep into the playoffs? Um, well, they need Amaya Lucas to just uh, put them on her her back and and carry them. I think um, because Amaya Lucas is a special player. She's a uh, uh, she's a sophomore this year. I think you're going to see she is just going to be tremendous all season, and you're only going to see her get better uh, over the over the uh, the next three seasons. Um, they've got some other good players on that team that need to come along. They need to find a point guard. I, I think to start with, uh, Emily McComas. Um, has so far been kind of kind of running that team. Um, and that's something that she's going to have to get used to and, and adjust to. Um, but really, they're going to go as far as Amaya Lucas can can carry them. I uh, saw them the other night. She had 23 points and a win over Fort Defiance. She can do just a little bit of everything. Um, and, and I'm really impressed with her. But saying that, I don't think they get back to the States this year. I, yeah. I just don't think yeah. they have enough to get back to the state tournament this year. They can certainly qualify for the regionals um, and maybe even win a game there, but I don't see them getting back to, uh, I, I don't see this team this year being a state tournament team. Wilson's a, Wilson's a team that's gone deep in a lot of years. Uh, what are we looking out of the uh, Lady Hornets? <laughs> Wilson is so young. Uh, no seniors on that Wow. Team. Wow. Uh, they only have two juniors. Uh, Paris Hutchinson and Carly Hatfield are the only two juniors on that team. So really a young team. Um, and and the bulk of their scoring is going to come. Uh, Paris Hutchinson uh, is the junior. She she can score a lot. But Corinne Baska, Madison Flynn, a couple of sophomores that were that got experience on the varsity last year as freshmen. Uh, they have been big so far. Leanna Rankin, another sophomore on that team, has scored a lot. I, I don't know. I, I I really think of all the girls programs, they have the most talent. But when you have a young team like that, you always wonder how they're going to going to play and, and are they going to mature enough to to be a contender once playoffs come around um the lucky for them you know they've got a, a veteran coach and jackie bryan and she's done this before if you remember back when lexi deffenball came through um she was uh she was a freshman on it. that team started i think four freshmen or something that year it was just it was ridiculous and and, and they had growing pains i think this team is gonna gonna have some some growing pains but watch out for them once we get into uh, into February, I think they could be a pretty good team. So with Wilson, Gap, we've talked about them. Who are you thinking is the favorite in the Shenandoah district on the girls' side? I have not. Uh, now, I'll say this. I have not had a chance to see to see East Rock, and they're always good. Right? I yeah, mean, they're, they it are. Like East Rock girls are always good. And, and so even without having, having seen them this season, I'm going to say East Rock may be – Maybe the favorite, um, but I think Wilson could be really good. Uh, Page County has actually gotten off to a to a good start um, on the girls' side, so so they could be tough. Um, and then Stewart's draft, watch for Stewart's draft a little bit. They uh, they could be 
pretty good. They've um they've got a uh, sophomore in McKinley Fitzgerald who has just had some phenomenal games so far. She's going to be she's a very talented player, and you're going to hear big things from her. Um, and then they've got a, a junior in Lindsey Harris who I've been impressed with, and some other young players on that team as well. And they've got a new coach in Brad Dewitt uh, who took over. Who obviously, you know, his dad coached Waynesboro for a long time, and he was the assistant there on the boys' side. So he knows what he is doing. Um, he's been the assistant with the girls' program the last couple of years, and he takes over this year. I, I really like him, and I think he knows what he's doing. So I, I think that Stewart's draft team could be good. But I, I think until you, you tell me they're not, East Rock's probably your favorite. All right, Patrick. Well, real quick, before we get you out of here, uh, have you got onto anything different lately, any binge watching, any TV, or anything entertaining you otherwise than your work? <laughs> well, well uh, with playoff season, it seems like it's all work lately. But I want to, and in fact, I think once we uh, once we finish this up, I'm going to sit down. i, I got to get my wife to help me figure out how to get Amazon Prime on our, on our TV uh, down here. But you might want to ask your daughter. She probably knows better than the both of you. <laughs> That's probably true. That's probably true. But uh, the uh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, so I, I love the first season. I just absolutely love the first season. A yes. coworker, a coworker turned me on uh, to that, and um, I, I I loved that first season. And so the second season just came out on December fifth, but I have not had a chance to sit down and actually watch anything um, so far in December. So now yeah. that uh, that the holidays are coming up, and I may have a little bit of time off from work. Um, and I'm hoping tonight to finally start watching that. But I, but I love the first season. I'm hoping the second season lives up to uh, to the hype. Yeah, we've been so busy, too. Uh, it came out the 5th, and a couple of nights ago, uh, my wife and I cut it on, uh, hopefully watching a whole episode and, and n- not a, um, not saying anything about the quality of the show, but we fell asleep 10 minutes in, and I think that's just the result of three kids and it being <laughs> December. So <laughs> that'll, that'll, that'll do it. But, but I, you know, I love I'm – I'm, I'm a huge Gilmore Girls fan, and so uh, – so that show kind of kind of reminds me a lot of that. And, and yeah, it's it's good. It makes you feel good when you watch it. It's it's a smile show. Yeah, yeah. So so that's that's right now kind of what I'm planning on watching, and uh, we'll we'll see how far I get through that before basketball takes over my life. Awesome. Well, Patrick, thanks for coming on with us. Remind everybody how to follow you. Uh, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Patrick underscore Height, and of course go to newsleader.com. Uh, later this week, we actually have uh, football's not over for us because we've got our all city county teams coming out and we've got our player of the year and our coach of the year, which we will announce later in the week. So uh, make sure you check that out on newsleader.com. All right, Patrick, thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you next time. Hey guys. Thanks a lot. All right, we have a second interview tonight. We are joined by Mike Barber of the Richmond Times-Dispatch. And the reason we want to bring you on, Mike, you got to vote for the Heisman. And last week on the podcast, I kind of talked about how I don't care about the Heisman. But I think it's awesome that you get to vote uh, on the Heisman. I think it's really cool that uh, you have that kind of – you're distinguished that way. So talk about the Heisman. We want to know who you voted for. I want to know a little bit about the process. And, uh, yeah, let let us know. (laughs) Yeah, I'll tell you, I I agree with you. I mean, that was one of the things that when I got, you know, my ballot the first time, um, they send you some information in the mail, and then they send you these passcodes. And it was one of the things in my career that I thought, like, wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, You know, I I remember being a kid and and watching them announce the award and thinking it was a pretty big deal. And uh, it is fun. It's funny. Everybody does it differently. And I I might be disappointing you guys. I don't have a real process. Um, I I kind of go with the go with the gut, if that makes sense. I mean, I study all the statistics, but it's so hard for an award like this. And, and, uh, I'll save you the suspense. I, I voted for Kyler Murray, uh, ahead of Tua, uh, and ahead of Dwayne Haskins. And I, I thought all three of them, uh, unlike some years, I thought all three of the finalists were Heisman caliber guys. I thought in a given year, depending what else was happening, any of those three had a season that I think is Heisman worthy. Now, I went with Kyler Murray, and, and my number one reason, it's not about numbers because people are right to point out that, hey, Tua was playing like half a game. Um, but the other thing is Tua only needed to produce one or two touchdowns a game, and he was going to win. I, I look back at, at Oklahoma's games, and I look back at uh, Alabama's games. I look back at Ohio State's games. and Kyler Murray, he had to score six, seven touchdowns every week because the defense was giving it up. 
the league they play in, if he didn't put up the numbers he put up, his team wouldn't have been where they are. And um, that doesn't take anything away from the other two guys who I think if you take them off their teams, their teams aren't as good. And I think they both had Heisman caliber years. But Kyler Murray, to me, he was basically in a shootout every week and had to put up those numbers for his team to have a chance. All right, Mike, uh, you, you covered Virginia Tech and UVA a lot. I want to ask you before the bowl games, because I don't think either team is going to win their bowl game, um, which isn't going to surprise Leland. But Mr. Negative. Uh, so I don't think <laughs> that these bowl games are going to have any effect on this answer. But who would you say is the player of the year for both of those teams? Well, I think for UVA, there's no question it's Bryce Perkins. Um, you know, to, to me, he transformed that team. Now, I think that Bryce Hall and Juan, Juan Thornhill, the way they played in the secondary, uh, was huge. But I think we kind of expected that. We knew that. We thought UVA would be pretty decent defensively, uh, and we didn't know what the offense would be. They were going to rebuild their offense around Bryce Perkins, and that sounds great, but none of us had ever really seen Bryce Perkins play, right? So to me, Bryce Perkins, the way he transformed that offense uh, with his running ability, his throwing, his ability to extend plays, and the confidence that that team took from him, uh, to me, he he was pretty clearly the, the player of the year there. And, you know, on the flip side, I... I think Ricky Walker had one of the most underappreciated seasons uh, of my career, really. I mean, Ricky Walker, while drawing double teams, while getting the attention of the line, Ricky Walker for Virginia Tech had a dominant season. Um, His numbers were very good, if not great. His play was great. Um, So Ricky Walker, to me, was the guy for Virginia Tech. And I think people don't appreciate just how good Ricky Walker was this year. I would agree with that because I think, I think that gets lost when people look at how bad the defense was as an overall unit. They they lose the individual aspect of someone like Ricky Walker. I, I tend to agree with you on that. And then UVA, I think you're spot on. I, I, don't, I don't know how anyone could sit, make an argument for anyone else. But Leland looked, sounded like he had something to say, too. Yeah, I, I'm going to actually ask another question, even though I was talking about getting out of here quick. Um, what does UVA win their bowl game? Well, now, I think they have a chance if Perkins is healthy. I think that we got away from uh, maybe some of the falling in love with UVA down the stretch. But really, to me, it, it had to do with Bryce Perkins was banged up early against Georgia Tech. They lost that game in overtime. He was banged up and not full strength against Virginia Tech. They lost that game in overtime. Now, I think they're they're rightfully an underdog. I think South Carolina will win that game. Uh, but South Carolina's got some guys who aren't playing right for pro and, and things like that. If Bryce Perkins is healthy, I think Virginia has a chance. I'll still lean towards South Carolina, but I think a healthy Bryce Perkins, this is different than last year, right? Last year, we saw Virginia kind of wear down, uh, kind of wear down as the year went on, struggle at the end of the year, and just get thumped on the head in the bowl game. I don't think this is the same storyline. South Carolina might beat them that way because they're better, but I think Virginia uh, is healthier, they're rested, and if Perkins is 100%, I think it's got a chance to be a decent game. Does Virginia Tech win their bowl game? You know, that's a great question. I would have said before the Virginia and Marshall game, I would have said if Tech gets in, they're not going to win their bowl game because they're going to be on fumes. But I really like the way they played against Marshall. I think they found that confidence and that swagger that they had after Florida State. Um, I think they have a real chance to win this bowl game. Yes, I I do. I I think I may even pick them to win this bowl game. I I think that uh, defensively they've gotten some of their confidence back. I think offensively, they figured out who they are with Ryan Willis. Um, I think they played really hard the last few weeks, and they're just playing with that same confidence and swagger that they had when they went and beat Florida State. And I know Florida State didn't end up being very good, uh, but they were 5-7 and seven and had to put a lot of talent on the field. And um, I don't know that Cincinnati has as much talent as Florida State. Now, Cincinnati is a better football team and a much better defense, but I, I like the way Virginia Tech ended the year, not just because they won two in a row there, but I, I like the way they carried themselves in those games. All right. Well, you mentioned Ryan Willis and how he's running the offense well. <laughs> just I have a question that I'm scared to ask now. Um, <laughs> let's say next year rolls around. I'm asking you to look into your crystal ball. Who is running this Virginia Tech offense next year? Yeah, my crystal ball is really, really cloudy. Uh, <laughs> I think that we, you know, so many times you go into spring ball and coaches say, oh, it's an open competition. 
and you guys know, a lot of times that's a load of bull, right? It's not really sure. an open competition. That's something coaches say to make kids feel good and to keep the motivation and all of that. And because you need to prepare a backup quarterback, I think we're going to go into spring in Blacksburg with a very open quarterback competition. Mm. And I don't think it's Ryan Willis and Josh Jackson alone. I think Hendon Hooker is going to, if he does not leave, I think Hendon Hooker is going to get huh. one more chance to show that he's the guy. I think Quincy Patterson, with the experience he has, is going to get a chance. I think Brad Cornelson and Justin Fuente are going to have a fascinating spring because I think they're going to go into spring ball with four kids who honestly have a chance to win the job, and they're going to sort it out from there. And, you know, when you talk about guys leaving, I think that stuff is going to happen after the spring. But I think Ryan Willis is right in the middle of this. I think Josh, you know, so much is going to depend on his health. I actually requested a... To interview him this week and um he politely declined he said he hasn't been playing so he doesn't need to be interviewed but i'm just kind of curious to see how things are going and what the prognosis is i think all four of those kids uh, are in a competition when spring rolls around okay well all right one last I'll question get... oh do you have a question about tech no, no oh, okay. i'm getting out of here the same way you are uh we've asked you what's your binging we uh twice yeah. now now i want to know what's your favorite christmas movie Oh, that's good. Um, and, and it's an easy one for me. I love Elf. Um, yes. My wife actually just bought me tickets. Uh, the Alamo Theater here in, in Charlottesville is doing an a Elf party on, I think it's Wednesday night this week. Um, I, I love the, you know, <clears throat> I've always loved It's a Wonderful Life, and she loves Love Actually, so we watch that this time of year. Uh, both of those are great, but for me, if I'm like alone on the couch and nobody's home and I want to throw on a Christmas movie to me, it's elf. Yeah. Elf's great. When, when the music's playing and he gets hit by that taxi cab, that's <laughs> just my favorite. Very New York city. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you, Mike. We're happy to have you again and we look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks for having me guys. All right, Leland, it's time to wrap this episode up and get into the D block with what is dominating my life. And I always mess up the title of this show, but I believe it's The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, great show. Uh, it's one season right now. They're talking about maybe doing a second season. I don't know where they go with it, but it is a really creepy show. Uh, and I will be honest with you, the very beginning, folks, it is hard to find a character to like. Uh, because it's about a family and this haunted house and all this crazy stuff that goes on. I don't want to spoil it, but pretty much every character has a huge, huge flaw and it's hard to like them. But then at the end, it's got a good message about family needing to stick together. So uh, yeah, it's a great show. I highly recommend it. I, d I don't know. I, most of the time I at least fake that I'll try what you've been saying. You're not even going to try that one. You I'm don't like scary shows. I'm not scary stuff and creepy stuff. Like, I just don't Super find enjoyment that way. I love getting scared. All right. That's why All I watch right. Virginia what's, Tech. Go. What, <laughs> what's dominating my life is the snow. I'm just not a big fan of the snow anymore. Nope. I be, become an adult, and the snow is not fun anymore. It just It's more work to get you to work. It's just it's terrible. And then even having kids, you think there's like joy of, hey, they'll play in the snow and this is fun. I came home from my lunch break today to play with the kids in the snow and it's crying and freezing and, uh, you know, inability to stand. It's just it's just not my favorite. And this is me complaining on a day here. I don't know. But the snow, I could just do with a lot less of it. I don't know. Just maybe I should just move south. <laughs> Agreed. No, I agree with you, though. Um, snow is a lot less fun when it doesn't get you out of school anymore. So yeah. And I'm not a teacher. So <laughs> yeah. All right. So what I know that you need to know, and I thought this was a really interesting thing at seven, five, seven at six tweeted this, I believe on Sunday with Lake Taylor and Phoebus falling in the state finals on Saturday. Uh, the seven, five, seven area code has now come up empty without a state championship in VHSL football for the fourth straight season. And that's the longest streak that the 757 has gone without a title since 1960 to 1965. I don't know if it means anything or what, but it's interesting. 
And I really, I think that I take that as how strong S757 has been in football in the 80s and 90s and 2000s, that maybe the rest of the state's starting to catch up a bit. And I, I like that since we're in an area that's not 757. I like to think uh, that uh, part of that is our fault. So I just think that's interesting, something to watch if it continues. Yeah, I don't think our area has anything to do with it, but well, we're not playing a lot of 757 teams. Um, I mean, Region A for Riverheads is seven five seven, and Essex has been to a lot of state finals, and uh, Franklin has won state finals, and Sussex Central has won state finals. So, uh, it, maybe not this year did they catch up. I think it's been a building thing, but it's just interesting. This side of the state is taking some of those away. Richmond is taking some of those away. Richmond Northern is Virginia the, is Richmond and Northern Virginia away. is the areas I look at as the culprits for seven five seven's demise in the past four years demise <laughs> they're dead 757 is dead they're they not dead they'll be back they're, they're fine over. they'll be fine they'll win one next year probably they'll be okay probably so um what, what I, do you know that i need to know that the orioles are actually making good moves um i like their hire in michael elias i think he's good uh i know i got in a little bit of a twitter comment about this on our yak sports podcast actually but um i actually think the orioles are and it's kind of weird. They're making the right decisions in the front office, and I've, it almost makes me feel uncomfortable. Like, I am almost scared to get sucked back into this team. And this is not to say that I think the Orioles are going to be contenders next year. I'm not naive. This team is going to be bad for two to three years. If they do things the right way, they'll be bad for two to three years. They'll get some solid prospects, and they'll develop them. And I know what Oriole fans are saying. Well, we've never developed anybody in the past. Well, here's the new part with Mike Elias. We have basically thrown out everyone involved in player development, except for Brady Anderson, unfortunately. But the scouting director is out. A lot of the people that are developing players out. And that's what the Orioles needed. We just needed new blood, people willing to develop analytics, and someone who knows something about baseball. Because all you need to know to prove the Orioles don't know how to develop pitching is Look at Jake Arietta, Kevin Gosman, and all these pitchers that we get rid of. And day one with their new team, they just look like Cy Young or Roger Clemens out there just throwing gas. And you're like, man, why wasn't this happening in Baltimore? And of course, the first thing is, well, Camden Yards is a hitter's park. Okay, well, half our games aren't at Camden Yards. So what is going on here? Uh, and it's it's just that we don't have smart people making decisions in the past. And now I hope we have smart people making decisions. I like Mike Elias and what he did with the Houston Astros and his involvement there. I think yeah, talking, talking analytics um, or hiring people from the St. Louis Cardinals organization too. And I'm sorry, those are two organizations that are doing it the right way. The St. Louis Cardinals have been great for a very long time. So anybody from the St. Louis Cardinals organization can help the Baltimore Orioles just by walking in the building. The IQ raises um, it seems like Peter Angelos has less decisions that he's making, which is for the best. And the Suns say they want it less hands-on and let baseball people be making baseball decisions. And I'm all for that. So I, I know that the Orioles are appear to be headed in the right direction. And I'm actually optimistic about the Orioles. Oh my goodness. Optimism from Joe. Happy Joe. That's right. This, this episode's coming full circle. All right. Well, we're going to get out of here with that. We'll be back next week as we close in on the Christmas holiday. And uh, we have plenty of basketball to talk about next week. And uh, we'll, we'll be back with the Yak Sports Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. Make sure you interact with us on Twitter. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of your Augusta County Sports Podcast. You've been listening to Yak Sports, your Augusta County Sports Podcast. 